Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, Catechesis from the Cathedral. Join Father Adam Streitenberger on a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In this episode, Father covers paragraphs 1533 to 1600, What Are Holy Orders? Here's Father Streitenberger. Enjoy! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful. Grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. We're going to um, continue our look at the celebration of the Christian mysteries, part two of the Catechism. We're continuing through the sacraments, and today we're going to cover the sacrament of holy orders. Sacrament of holy orders. The Catechism's treatment on this sacrament Well, specifically, it starts in 1536, but um, there is a three-paragraph introduction to this, what is called Chapter 3, the Sacraments at the Service of Communion. So we've gone through how the the Catechism splits the sacraments into three categories. The first are the Sacraments of Initiation. The second are the Sacraments of Healing. And then the third are these sacraments at service. The Catechism tells us that all of the sacraments point towards the Eucharist. Paragraph 1537, I think, um, is worth mentioning. It deals with the sacraments of Christian initiation, the first three, baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation. But there's an important line that I might say is kind of um, indicative of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Catechism which has come from the Second Vatican Council. And the, the sentence is, they, the sacraments of Christian initiation, ground the common vocation of all Christ's disciples a vocation to holiness and to the mission of evangelizing the world. So the catechism in this sort of rehash, this re-summary, reminds us that being initiated into the church by the sacraments, we receive a common vocation to be Christ's disciples. And that disciple, that, that um, call, entails two aspects. The first is this vocation to holiness. Often we refer to that as the universal call to holiness, that everyone is called to be a saint. This is a clear teaching from the, sac- sac- or from the Second Vatican Council. But then we also hear in this line that everyone 
Because of the sacraments of Christian initiation, as Christ's disciples, also receive a vocation to the mission of evangelizing the world. So before we launch into the two sacraments of Christian service, holy orders, and then next week, matrimony, the Catechism is reminding us that we've already received a mission, we've already received a vocation, a call to service as Christ's disciples. And that call is holiness and evangelization. So all of us, regardless of our particular vocation, have received those two calls. The Catechism is so succinct in these paragraphs that I think that's the most difficult part of reading the Catechism is so much is packed in to one sentence. In 1534, we're told that two sacraments kind of build on top of these sacraments of initiation in launching us directing us towards the salvation of others. Those two sacraments are holy orders and matrimony. So they direct us towards the work of the salvation of others. They also contribute in some way to our own personal salvation, but only in that they entail service to others. So a person doesn't become a priest or doesn't marry someone in order to save their souls. They become a priest or they marry someone to spend the rest of their life serving others and in that will grow in holiness and salvation. Then we're also told that in these two other sacraments, holy orders and matrimony, we, those who receive it, receive a particular mission to the church, to the building up of the church. So in in these two paragraphs, 1533 and 1534, we have this rich theology which really comes from the Second Vatican Council. It's the teaching of Vatican II, that everyone, because of their initiation, because of the sacraments of initiation, are called to holiness, called to be evangelists. And then, on top of that basic call to holiness and evangelization, through two other sacraments, holy orders and matrimony, are called to build up the church and work to the salvation of others through service. And then, to make things even more beautiful, I think, 1535, we're told that through the sacraments of baptism and confirmation, we are consecrated to this common priesthood, the priesthood of the baptized. We receive a particular consecration. But then, and this is, I think, what is interesting, the Catechism tells us that in the sacraments of holy orders, we 
those who receive it are consecrated in Christ's name to feed the church. And the one thing that, you know, we, we may miss, but which I think is revolutionary, is the next sentence in paragraph 1535. On their part, Christian spouses are fortified and, as it were, consecrated for the duties and dignity of their state by a special sacrament. So, everyone is in some ways called, receives the vocation to live the consecrated life, to live a life of consecration. By our baptism and confirmation, we are consecrated to the Lord. By holy orders, those men who receive that are consecrated to Christ's service. And, and this is the revolutionary part, spouses in their promises to each other are consecrated for their duties and their dignity. Matrimony is a form of consecration. So 1533-1535, those three paragraphs, which I've spent so much time on already, that contains a lot of rich understanding of of, and, and all really flowing from the Second Vatican Council. Not that the Council is somehow in rupture from the tradition. It ultimately flows from the tradition as well. So then we launch into the Sacrament of Holy Orders, 1536. We're reminded that in this sacrament... And, and this might be 1536. I know every, someone is always looking for the one paragraph to kind of summarize um, the section. 1536 um, is, is our summary. Holy orders is the sacrament through which the mission entrusted to Christ to his apostles continues to be exercised in the church until the end of time. Thus it is the sacrament of apostolic ministry. It includes three degrees, episcopate, presbyterate, and diaconate. So we've talked about this um, when we talked about Christ, that he, has, he chose these apostles. When we talked about the church and the apostolic mark of the church, we're reminded that the Lord chose 12 apostles he called them out from among his followers and from among the crowds. He designated them and he sent them forth. This is an important point in Christ's mission because it entails the ongoing mission of Christ and the church. This sacrament of holy orders is unique among all the seven sacraments, because as the Catechism tells us, it, can, it is received or can be received three times in what we call the three degrees, the three degrees of this sacrament. The basic 
is called the diaconate or deacon. The next is the presbyterate or presbyter, or in English we often use the word priest. And then the last is bishop or episcopoi. So it can be received in three degrees. Why is this sacrament called orders? So if you remember every sacrament, the catechism always starts by saying, what's the name of this sacrament and why does it have this name? So it's called holy orders because of this word order, which from Latin means a designated, established civil body, especially a governing body. Ordinatio means the incorporation into an ordo, an order. So the idea then is that there is a body, the apostles, or the successors of the apostles, the bishops, the presbyters, the elders, the priests, and then the deacons, the diaconate. But the catechism tells us there are also, in the ancient church, there are also other of these orders. Ordos is the Latin. There were catechumens, so those people who were preparing for baptism, who had been welcomed and designated, incorporated into this body of catechumens, and were in the process of preparing for baptism. We still have this order of catechumens in the church. Or there were virgins, and we still have that today in the life of the church, that there are women who consecrate themselves, who make promises to the bishop, and enter into this order of consecrated virgins. The Catechism also mentions the order of spouses and the orders, order of widows, which um, no longer necessarily exist in the life of the Church. 1538 goes a little farther that because there are these orders, bishops, priests, deacons, Now, these are not orders in the sense of religious orders, um, but in a more ancient sense. There was a rite called an ordinatio, where one would be consecrated or dedicated to enter into this order. Ordination is, the word ordination is reserved for the sacramental act which integrates a man into the order of bishops, presbyters, or deacons and goes beyond a simple election, designation, delegation, or institution by the community. For it confers a gift of the Holy Spirit that permits the exercise of the sacred powers which can only come from Christ himself through his church. So 1538 is a very important paragraph. Um, It reminds us that this sacrament, what this sacrament is affirming, is that priests, deacons, bishops, 
that these men are called forth by Christ, set aside by Christ, and Christ confers the gift of his Holy Spirit, the exercise of his sacred power upon them. So the church, or the community, or the congregation, doesn't elect these these men, or delegate them, or designate them. It is not the community that elects representatives, but it is Christ who sends us shepherds, we might say, sends us these men. There are two other names which are used for this sacrament. Consecratio, ordination is sometimes called consecratio, because it is an investiture by Christ for his church, a setting apart. Consecration means to, to set aside for sacred purposes. Or sometimes this sacrament is called laying on of hands, because that's the primary form that we see this throughout the New Testament that, you know, Paul references with Timothy and with Titus how he laid hands upon them when they became priests and bishops. So that's the visible sign of this sacrament is the bishop laying hands upon the head of those to be ordained. So 1537 and 38 established the name for this sacrament. Then, as we have done with all the other sacraments, it's about the institution of the sacrament. So a sacrament has, is an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. We have this section which the Catechism has for every sacrament, in which how, how has this sacrament been present through the economy of salvation? So first of all, how is it pointed to in the Old Testament? Well, primarily in the priesthood of the Old Testament. So at the time of Moses, when the Lord revealed to him the law, not just the moral law of the Ten Commandments, but all of the Mosaic law, the practices. There, were, there was the, the high priesthood of Aaron. There was the priesthood of the Levites. And we even see that at one point there is the designation of the 72 elders or the 70 elders, excuse me. So paragraph 1541 points to three Old Testament prefigurements. The high priesthood of Aaron, the Levites, and then the 70 elders. If you remember in um, Numbers 11, 24 through 25, um, Moses picks out these seven elders. Levites, that was a whole tribe that the Lord had designated through Moses to be priests. And then Aaron, Moses' brother, 
his family would be the high priest. So there were three orders present in the Old Testament. Then, of course, the the catechism, after going through the Old Testament, points to Christ and his institution of the sacrament. So first of all, the catechism reminds us that everything that the priesthood of the Old Testament prefigured finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, the one mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ is the eternal priest. And so there's a figure, even in, uh, before Moses, that points to prefigures to Christ, the eternal priest. And that's that mysterious figure, Melchizedek, that um, Abraham, or Abraham runs into. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham and offers a sacrifice of bread and wine. We don't know the origins of Melchizedek, and and the letter to the Hebrews uh, works on this. It kind of explains this parallel between Jesus and Melchizedek. So that's another Old Testament prefigurement that points to Jesus Christ as the eternal priest. In 1545, a very important sacrament, or a very important paragraph, it reminds us that the redemptive, it says, the redemptive sacrifice of Christ is unique, accomplished once for all, yet it is made present in the Eucharistic sacrifice of the church. The same is true of the one priesthood of Christ, It is made present through the ministerial priesthood without diminishing the uniqueness of Christ's priesthood. So just as every Mass is a sacrifice, but yet is one with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, so all of the ministerial priests, the bishops and priests, share in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal priest. There is one sacrifice which is made present in all the masses. There is one priesthood which is made present in all of the priests. It's interesting. The catechism hasn't explained this yet. It will in, in later paragraphs. But in the sacrament of holy orders, we say there's three degrees but there's only two, only two of those degrees share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And that is bishops and priests, or bishops and presbyters. Deacons do not share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, ministerially. So this is an as we talk about the priesthood of Christ, it's important to keep that in mind. Um, we'll talk about the diaconate a little bit, long, a little bit later, um, and we'll talk a, a little bit more about this distinction, but just to get that out there, to kind of throw that out now as we're talking about Christ's priesthood. Then the catechism says that even though there is one priesthood of Christ... There are two participations in the one priesthood. 
Now, you're going to automatically think that since I just said that only two degrees share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, you're going to say that those are the two shares in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ, but you're wrong if that's what you're thinking. You're, you're getting ahead of me, so just um, we'll just step back. So, first, the first way... The first way of participating in the eternal, the one eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ is the common priesthood of all the baptized. That all of us share some way in Christ's priesthood by our baptism. The faithful exercise their baptismal priesthood through their participation, each according to his own vocation, in Christ's mission as priest, prophet, and king. And through the sacrament of baptism and confirmation, we are all, all the faithful, which includes priests and laity, are consecrated to be a holy priesthood. The second participation in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ is the ministerial or hierarchical priesthood, of which there are two degrees which participate presbyterate, priests, and bishops. So, if you notice, I keep using this word presbyterate, or presbyter, which is the Greek for elder, which is the word that's used in the New Testament to refer to this. We use the English word priest, which derives from that Greek word presbyter, but when we think of priest, we need to think of it in, in a broader sense of both bishops, episcopoi, and presbyters. Because they're both sharing in the same priesthood, the, the ministerial priesthood of Jesus Christ. So I, um, I tend to like to use the word presbyter to refer to, to that second order, just to kind of uh, make that distinction. So we continue then. Um, the, these two, so this second participation in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ is the ministerial or hierarchical priesthood, which includes priests and bishops. Both ways of participating, both in the common priesthood of the baptized and the ministerial priesthood, they are ordered to one another, the catechism says. The ministerial priesthood exists to be at service of the common priesthood, to direct, it's directed to helping them unfold their baptismal graces. The ministerial priesthood is a means by which Christ unceasingly builds up and leads his church. For this reason, it is transmitted by its own sacrament. So why did Christ set aside apostles and presbyters, or the, the apostles and their successors? Well, he did that in order to support the whole crowd all of the disciples, all of the church. 
Now, it's interesting then the catechism uses these, these titles, these headlines, these, um, for each section. So it's the one priesthood of Christ, two participations in the one priesthood of Christ, and then in the person of Christ the head, 1548. So we say that the ordained minister, the hierarchical priesthood, the ministerial priesthood, acts in the person of Christ, the head of the church. It acts, they act in the person of Christ, the head. In persona Christi Capitis. We're familiar enough, I think, with the phrase in persona Christi. It's how the sacraments work, that the priest who hears our confessions acts in the person of Christ. He also acts in the person of the church, if you remember from when we covered that sacrament. But in this specific sacrament, we say that the priest acts in the person of Christ, the head, the head of the church. 1549, through the ordained ministry, especially that of bishops and priests, the presence of Christ as the head of the church is made visible in the community. But also, especially in the case of the bishop, we have an image for God the Father. And then, of course, spelling out this very lofty call, 1550 reminds us that even though priests and bishops are um, act in the person of Christ and are called to be an image and icon of the Heavenly Father and of Christ the priest, we know that they are not perfect, which is a big understatement. Um, and the Catechism says that um, the presence of Christ working in the minister is preserved from all, you know, even if that person has human weaknesses, a spirit of domination or error or even sin, the Lord is still able to work through them. And then 1551, the priesthood is ministerial, which means, simply enough, it's about service. In addition to the priest working in the person of Christ the head, he also works or acts in the name of the whole church. He acts in the person of the church. In the name of the whole church does not mean that priests are delegates of the community. So twice we've seen that the catechism in this section is confronting an error which the authors of the catechism must seem, must think are very common. And it is this idea that the community elects their ministers or elects their bishop, or chooses their bishops, or delegates their bishops. It's the idea that the, um, the divine power what comes up from the bottom up, rather than by the title divine, we know that it comes from God himself, from divine election.
So the catechism keeps、um, making this point because I think it sees this error, and it is very easy for us, especially when we maybe water down our sacramental understanding, to think of the priest or a past the pastor of our parish, or even of our bishop, as someone who is just designated as our leader or delegated as our leader. Or that really,、um, that their their authority derives from from a majority opinion or from the, a majority election. But rather, the catechism emphasizes again and again in this section that the apostles were chosen, called, sent, and empowered by Christ. So is their successors. The catechism then talks about the three degrees of this sacrament. So this holy, the sacrament of holy orders, is received in three degrees. There are two degrees of ministerial participation in the priesthood of Christ: the episcopacy and the presbyterate. The diaconate is intended to help and serve them. For this reason, the term sacerdos, in current usage, denotes bishops and priests, but not deacons. So, sacerdos is the Latin word for priest. So that's why, that's another reason why I kind of think that, and what we need to start doing is referring to. The second degree of this of holy orders as presbyters, as presbyters, and that we use the word priest, people who men who share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, to refer to both bishops and presbyters,、um, and that's what it, that's how it rolls in the Latin. So. Or at least that's what the catechism is pointing to. Yet Catholic doctrine teaches that the degrees of priestly participation, episcopate and presbyterate, and the degree of service, diaconate, are all three conferred by a sacramental act called ordination. So, as we as we might rightly know, deacons are ordained. Deacons, or、um, by their ordination, share in the service, the ministry of Jesus Christ as servants. Christ the servant. Presbyters are ordained, and they share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Bishops are ordained. To the fullness of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, so the Catechism is going to distinguish pres- the presbyters from bishops in that bishops have the fullness of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders, as successors of the apostles. So we hear about episcopal ordination, the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders. 1557, second, the Second Vatican Council 
Now, there's some debate about this because we say that the Second Vatican Council is a pastoral council in the um, addendum to the document Lumen Gentium. Paul VI says that nothing new, no new doctrine is declared at, Second Vat- at, at, this, at the Second Vatican Council. Um, but there are certain teachings which are taught definitively, authoritatively at the Council. So we have to presume then that those are um, ordinary magisterial teachings that have been clarified by the Second Vatican Council. And one of these things is um, that the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders is conferred by Episcopal consecration. That fullness, namely, which both in the liturgical tradition and the church and the language of the fathers of the church is called the high priesthood. Bishops have been consecrated by their ordination as true and authentic teachers of the faith and have been made pontiffs, high priests, that's what that word means, pontiff, and pastors. One is consecrated a member of the Episcopal body in virtue of the sacramental consecration and by the hierarchical communion with the head and members of the college. The character and collegial nature of the Episcopal order are evidenced, among other ways, by the church. So this, this should kind of um, begin to hurt our heads a little bit, this idea of college. So we talked about the word order meaning a body of people, a designated body of people. So when a man is ordained a deacon, he isn't just consecrated to share in the role of Christ the servant. He's incorporated into a body of people, a group of people called deacons, the diaconate. The same with a man who's ordained, a deacon who's ordained a priest. He is configured, he's consecrated to share, to act in the person of Jesus Christ, the head of the church. But he's also incorporated in that into a group, we use the word college, called the the presbyteral college. He's incorporated into a group, the priests. And then the same with bishops. Now, it's very important with bishops because bishops, as successors of the apostles, we know that, you know, the the New Testament talks about the apostles. It was a college. There were these 12 men gathered around Jesus that he spent his days with, that he taught, that he formed, that he revealed his teachings to, he revealed the sacraments to. So this idea of a college, of a group, um, is very essential to these sacraments, that you're incorporated into it. And so all these bishops around the world, there might be, I don't know how many there are, probably 6,000, are all somehow united. 
Well, the, sa- the section on the church that we covered um, months and months ago says that this college is united together in their union with the head of the college, which, of course, is the successor of Peter, the Pope, the, the Bishop of Rome. On the one hand, bishops are responsible for a particular geographic area, what we call a particular church, lowercase church. But because they're all united, and they're united to the Pope, they have a responsibility, or the Catechism says, a solicitude for all the churches. So we, um, for um, maybe it, it bears repeating again and again, is our parishes are not the local church. The local church, the particular church, is the diocese with the bishop. And that, I think, um, bears repeating because it, it seems to be a very common error in American Catholicism that our parishes are the local church, the be-all and then the end-all. Now, it is true the parish is where the action happens, but it's the diocese that's the local church. And if we begin to consider ourselves as members of this larger local church, this particular church of a diocese, it really, I think, it really helps us to flourish. Um, we see the interconnectedness within the diocese um, and how all of the resources are there really for the accomplishment of the mission which Christ has given us. Then we talk about the, the catechism talks about the ordination of priests, 1562. Priests are um, co-workers of the Episcopal order. They receive a character, one of these indelible marks. We're going to hear this later when we talk about the graces of the sacrament. They are true priests of the New Testament called to preach the good news. Through the sacrament of holy orders, priests share in the universal dimensions of the mission of Christ entrusted to the apostles and the universal mission of salvation. So they're geared to, you know, um, this mission which we all have, all the baptized have, but with a certain emphasis. It is in the Eucharistic cult or the Eucharistic assembly of the faithful that they exercise in a supreme degree their sacred office. They're acting in the person of Christ and proclaiming his mysteries. A priest is most a priest at the Mass. We might, that's what the Catechism is saying. They constitute together with their bishop a unique sacerdotal college. So here's the other thing which probably priests need to hear from time to time. Just as bishops the bishops of the world form a, a college because of their union with the head of that college, the Bishop of Rome. The priests of a particular church form a college, a presbyterate, 
by their union with the head of that college, who is the local bishop. So I'm a member of the presbyterate of the Diocese of Columbus because of my union with with the Bishop of Columbus. So the bishop is a part of the presbyterate. All priests are bound together by an intimate sacramental brotherhood. But in a special way, they form one priestly body in the diocese to which they are attached under their own bishop. The unity of the presbyterium finds liturgical expression in the custom of presbyters imposing hands after the bishop during the rite of ordination. Then the catechism turns to the ordination of deacons, that they are ordained in order to serve, not unto the priesthood, but unto the ministry. Now, the catechism doesn't reference this, but if you go through the New Testament, the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, you can see the three orders emerging. So first, Christ designates the twelve apostles. And then, in Luke's Gospel, we hear that he designates an additional seventy or 72 based on the text, and he sends them forth. That's the presbyterate. And then, in the Acts of the Apostles, in order to serve the Greek widows, there are seven deacons that are designated, including Stephen, who is the first martyr. Deacons, at their ordination, receive a character, an indelible mark. And then in 1571, we hear reference that from the Second Vatican Council, there has been a restoration in what is called the permanent diaconate. The permanent diaconate. 1572 through 1574 includes the rite, the outward sign of the sacrament. The essential rite, we're told, in 1573 of the Sacrament of Holy Orders for all three degrees consists in the bishop's imposition of his hands on the head of the ordained and in the specific consecratory prayer that he prays for God to outpour his Holy Spirit and his gifts proper to the ministry to which the candidate is being ordained. So the bishop imposes hands on the head of the person to be ordained, and he says a prayer. That's the essential rite. But in addition to that, there are initial rites, which include the presentation of the candidate, the election of the candidate, so people will applaud um, to note their approval, a brief instruction by the bishop, sometimes it's not brief, I should add, Um, And the examination of the candidate, so the bishop will ask the candidate questions pertinent to the ministry that they're going into. Do you promise? You know, the litany of the saints. Um, And then in the rite itself, um, the rite of consecration. But then there are other little things as well. 
um, depending upon the bishop or the priest. So, or the diaconate. So, the, in, the, in the episcopacy and in the um, presbyterate, there is a special anointing which happens. Um, there are signs and symbols of the office which will be handed on in the rite as well. Who can confer this sacrament? Any validly ordained bishop. And by validly ordained, meaning that they have apostolic succession. Who can receive this sacrament? And this is perhaps the more controversial paragraphs of this section. And that is only a baptized man, and the Latin is vir, which is man, not human, Veer validly receives sacred ordination. The Lord Jesus chose men to form the College of the Twelve Apostles. The Church recognizes herself to be bound by this choice made by the Lord himself. So Jesus Christ is the Lord of history. He's not bound by any historical precedent or context or cultural situation. He could have very well have named women as apostles, um, but he didn't. And the church throughout all of its history has designated only men as candidates for um, the sacrament of holy orders, including the diaconate. Um, For this reason, then, um, the ordination of women is not possible, the catechism says. Then the Catechism says that no one has a right to receive the sacrament of holy orders. And that is crucial. And I think the Catechism was preparing us for this insight when it was reminding us that it's not the community that designates who is bishop or who is priest or who is deacon. It's Jesus Christ who sends them, who consecrates them, who sets them aside, who calls them. It's a reminder that we don't have a right to this. No one has a right to the sacrament of holy orders. He is called to it, the catechism says, he is called to it by God. He must humbly submit his desire to the authority of the church. So the idea then is that... um, The Lord calls forth these men. They don't choose it, nor do they have a right to it. And then the church discerns this call with the person. Like every grace, this sacrament can be received only as an unmerited gift. In the next two paragraphs, 1579 and 1580, the Catechism distinguishes the Latin practice of celibacy and the Eastern practice of married priests. And then finally, in 1581, um, to conclude 1581 through 1589 are the graces of the sacrament. 
outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. So first of all, all three orders of this, all three degrees of the sacrament of holy orders, receives an indelible mark, a character. So that's the first thing. The specific grace of this sacrament, the special grace of the Holy Spirit, is for the man to serve as Christ's instrument for his church. By ordination, what is enabled to act as a representative of Christ, the head of the church, in his triple office of priest, prophet, and king. So that's the grace. We talk about the specific grace of the sacrament. An indelible sign is left. 1583 reminds us that it is possible that for someone who has been validly ordained for grave reasons to be discharged from his obligations and his functions. But nonetheless, the character remains imprinted. Once a priest, always a priest is sort of the the line, the adage that um, is repeated. Another grace of this sacrament, 1585, configures the person to Christ as priest, teacher, and pastor. So there are specific graces for each degree. For bishops, they receive a governing spirit. They receive a grace to guide and defend the church and the grace that impels them to proclaim the gospel to all. For priests, this grace includes um, the grace to um, stand beyond reproach before the altar, to proclaim the gospel, to fulfill the ministry of the word of truth, to offer spiritual gifts and sacrifices, to renew the people through baptism. And then deacons receive the special graces to be strengthened and dedicated to the people of God and to work with bishops and with the body of priests and service. To end, I think uh, the Catechism gives us this beautiful, wonderful quote from the Cure of ours, St. John Vianney. And it goes, And by the Cure of ours, the priest continues the work of the redemption on earth. If we really understood the priest on earth, we would die not of fright but of love. The priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you all. This is listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Catechesis from the Cathedral with Father Adam Streitenberger. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, download it, or share it with a friend, please visit stgabrielradio.com, go to our audio archives, and look for Catechesis from the Cathedral.
Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless and have a great day.